0: sleep do go to sleep and do me a favor don't disturb my friend he's dead tired
1: well what the hell are you saying does you lose half your body sleeping i i sleep pretty hard
0: welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories hey it's brian hey it's murdoch welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories everybody the innuendo the rumors the things you really wanted to know about the sex the drugs the violence and all the things that make life worth living you, had to, you added is.
1: violence in that list man so, uh,
0: well sorry it, 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 it just no, came out
1: there there is violence today it, it, it's like it's like you know what we're going to talk about there's a little bit of violence weird violence in today's story listener email uh you can send us some it's we are the story guys at gmail.com this one is from john w and this is what john says uh Absolutely love your podcast, guys. You should do an episode about the feud between the Wilson sisters, their breakup, oh. and the breakup of Heart a couple of years ago
0: is definitely the stuff of tabloids. Oh, is that what we're going to talk about? Did, so, do you did you know about this? Yeah, I'm so. Uh, listen, I'm going to ask you again. Is this is what we're are this what we're talking about today? I want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This okay, is awesome, awesome. Yeah, I know about it. It it got it I don't know if they just have great PR, like it just got squashed. It
1: sort of got buried. There's plenty out yeah. there, but like I never heard about it. When I got this letter from John, right. I was like, I literally Googled Anna Nancy Wilson controversy. Like I didn't know what I was walking into. And, yeah, and you and you walked
0: into some crap you weren't prepared it's for. And bizarre look, and And, hey, man, thanks for listening to our show and bringing up some (laughs) crazy, weird, freaky rock
1: and roll stuff that we're going to tell everybody about. This is awesome. We've actually gotten other listener mail in the past that has asked us to put a little more spotlight on the amazing women of rock from the periods that we talk about in the 70s and 80s. And I think that's a fair criticism of the show. We haven't done a good job of that. And so we get to do... We get to knock out two requests today, right? We, we, we get to answer John's uh, letter. And uh, if you have been concerned that we haven't talked about the Chrissy Hines and the Hearts and, and the other amazing women of rock and roll, we'll at least get to talk about two of them at length today. And I got to tell you, up top, that I did not realize that maybe second or third behind Fleetwood Mac for Crazy Soap Opera like I didn't realize Heart was in that category.
0: Yeah, there's there is there, it isn't it isn't like Fleetwood Mac material. I all, mean, it's but.
1: not quite, but there is some interband mingling, like we'll get to it. But it's a lot more than I thought, right? I just sort of know the big hits. I of course know Anna Nancy Wilson. I had to think about this for a while, but as a young impressionable preacher's kid to whom even thinking about sex was prohibited, things that shouldn't have been perceived as particularly lascivious like felt very controversial to me when i was a kid so i realized when reviewing my relationship with heart that my i would love to tell you that my entry point was barracuda or magic man but it was not i'm pretty sure my entry point to this band was all i want to do is make love to you <laughs> Like the 1985 heart. <laughs> the, the glam metal heart, which we'll talk about. It's like so bizarre that they take this this hard turn and yeah. resurrect their career. Like they were dying in the early 80s. Yeah. Did
0: you like Alone? Or did you or did you like so that
1: one? I sort of came to those songs later. I just okay. heard at some point seven to ten-year-old Brian heard All I Wanna Do is Make Love to You. And of course. 10 year old boy you're like what what is this song this is a very Ford song to be on this pop radio station right and so I went back to examine this song it's a very horny song (laughs) to be fair it is a very horny song it's about the strong desire to have a one night stand with a hitchhiker who who very likely might just be a homeless guy (laughs) it's not really clear that's a lot to process if you're 10 Right?
0: That's that is that is a lot to process <laughs> for for sure.
1: I mean, yeah. I read the lyrics as an adult, and I'm like, man, there's a lot to unpack here.
0: Somebody needs to talk to this woman. But
1: if you follow the history of the band, as I've already said, this isn't that much of a surprise, because Hart is a band with a
0: lot of sex and romance wrapped up in its different forms and formations. Um you know what I think about, dude, with Heart, is I think about um and I this was definitely not when I was a young man, but I think about Uh, I think it's swingers where they have the movie in, in the movie that magic man's in there and there's like this scene. And it's like, that is like imprinted in my brain, this like sexy scene with magic man. And so, (laughs) magic man is is stuck in the where whatever year same, that was the same
1: place where like it, it, it does it bring up the same feelings that all i want to do is make love to you a very confused uh, pre-adolescent boy trying to decipher pop radio lyrics what is this story yeah um so i also sort of had whiffed on the fact that anna nancy wilson not the original people in this band
0: no it no. wasn't their band yeah but the but the thing is is that this is sort of the the way it kind of shook out. You know, it shook out that this was going to end up being what what Hart was going to be. So
1: well, and I think the guys sort of see it coming, right? And I think there's some tension in the band later because they see what's about to happen. But it's actually the initial creation of these guys, Steve and Roger, Steve and Roger Fisher. They've been in the Seattle music scene for a while. And that's another thing about Hart is they come out of Seattle initially. Even though, and we'll talk about this, they break from Vancouver, but the Wilsons are from Seattle. And so the Wilsons know all the grunge guys. Nancy Wilson was friends with Elaine Staley, like, because they lived in the same city. Like, there was, like, like these strange connections like that. And they, they, had a, they had a song on the single soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. So they put out an ad looking for a singer and a bass player, and they end up with 20 year old Ann
0: Wilson answering the call not expecting that to happen. No, they?
1: they're not. And it's interesting when you read this oral history because you you find out very quickly that there was a lot to face in the early 70s as a female fronting a band because of where they're playing. They're playing in terrible places, right? That's <laughs> a band on the come up uh, in the in the uh, Pacific Northwest. They're just playing wherever, right? And she just faces all sorts of harassment and, and it, it sucks. But she's in the band for a little bit as Hocus Pocus. They're on tour in 71, playing up near the Canadian border. And Roger Fisher's brother, Mike, has been living in Canada because he dodged the draft. It's 71 after all. I actually read something that said that that to add a little flair to this story that not only did he dodge the draft that he had not answered and they showed up at his house in America and knocked on the door. And when they knocked on the door, he jumped out his window and then like out the back of the house and then ran and hitchhiked or whatever to get to Canada. Like, like dramatic draft dodging, not like calculated planned draft dodging. (laughs) So I don't know if that's true or not, but I did read that.
0: Wow. that's uh, so crazy. Okay.
1: So but he evidently his little brother's band is is worth enough for him to risk coming across the border. So they they come to Bellevue, Washington, which is very close to the Canadian border and he sneaks across the border and comes into the show and that's where he meets Ann Wilson. And so one of the central relationships in this band in the early years is the Ann Wilson Mike Fisher relationship. And it's interesting cuz Mike Fisher will drive the motor that is uh, the motor of this band for a long while, but he's not technically in the band. He's just the brother and the lover of members in the band. This is what's ha- what happens though. He very quickly influences Anne so much. And we will see in this story that Anne is influenced by men. I I wouldn't normally bring this up, but I think for where we're headed, it's very important to state that we see this happen early in her life. Where she actually lets Mike Fisher sort of control her immediately, and she quits the band because she because he needs to be in Canada, and so she moves to Vancouver with him, and they like live on this like hippie commune. Uh, it's it's like this bizarre behavior, and when you read the the biography, the oral history, "Kicking and Dreaming," um, that Anne and Nancy wrote together, Anne reveals quickly that Mike starts controlling everything she does what she eats what she wears how she behaves not good but this is kind of the kind that like how mike is he seems to have this sort of effect on people in general and he brings a lot of order to the inherent chaos of a bunch of hippie musicians so somehow within a year steve uh and mike's brother roger who were in this band hocus pocus with Anne, decide to relocate to canada too and they come and they all live in the same house and they decide to reuse an old band name that Steven Roger had used before
0: Hocus Pocus and that band name is Heart. And you would think that Heart or Kiss, like you know what I mean, like these very simple these simple band names would be taken. And man, they decided to go to Canada, eh? I it, mean, what a great idea. So
1: it's interesting because Heart launches as a Canadian rock band. And we've talked about the Canadian music policies that. Right. That, that make Canadian radio play Canadian musicians. And because uh, a couple of them get immigrant status, they actually qualify as a Canadian band. So they make it in Canada before they make it in the U S because of that, which is really interesting. Um, So let's talk about this Mike Fisher guy. Like I said, he's never technically in the band, but he is a driving force for them. He he shirks the label of manager in later years. Like He won't say that he was their manager, but he does plot the course for them in the beginning. And when the band wants to get serious, he literally writes a five-year plan. He's got all this strategy and all these ideas on how this group can become very big. And his path is, let's become big in Canada and then become big in the US. And Anne is so transfixed by him that she writes a song about how transfixed she is. And she calls it Magic Man. Too soon to lose
0: my baby Yet my girl should be at home But try to understand Try to understand Try, 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 try to understand He's a magic man, mama I'm oh, a magic
1: man Wow. The Magic Man of Magic Man. Is Mike Fisher. So, all right, we got Anne. But what about Nancy? when she comes into the picture? Nancy's the younger of the two. And while Anne is reforming this band in Canada, Nancy is starting college. And she's trying to make it as a musician too. She wants to do this same thing the big sister is doing. But she's not finding very good fits. She has a few musical partners here and there and nothing really takes off. The band. That Anne is in is all living together in a new house. They move into a new place in Canada, and they had a keyboard player who'd been living with them. He ends up leaving and moving out, and so his room is free. And Anne invites Nancy to come take his spot. Now, at first, it's just in the house. Come take the spot in the house, but she does tell her that she wants to write with her. And Nancy's whole thing is just she wants a writing partnership. And so when Big Sister, who's already been touring, right? And is, is farther ahead in life than her and has been an influence. Says, hey, I want you to be my writing partner. Nancy's really thrilled by this. So she comes up to Canada. They start writing together. And the rest of the band is like, wait a second. You want to put Nancy in the band? And Steve and Roger are realizing pretty quickly it's something you pointed out at the beginning, which is, the power dynamics are really going to shift if we let a family member in here.
0: Yeah. And what, but what a amazing feeling it would have to be that. You would join a band with a family member or specifically a sibling that you weren't in. Yeah. But you were invited in. Yeah. That's, that's some, that's some heavy, heavy duty stuff.
1: Well, and I, I think, you know, I always talk about how I love sibling stories. They're my favorite my favorite books, my favorite movies. Uh, it's this old movie that I love Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney called you can count on me. It's a Kenneth Lonergan film. It's about siblings, right? And it's like, I love siblings at the center of the frame. Cause you know, it's like most stories, there's romance at the center of the frame, right? Or you see mother and child or father and child, but you don't see that many sibling stories. And I love this idea of these people who you grow up beside, it, often the same parents and the same rules, but they shape you totally differently. And then you coexist with these people. It's it's fascinating and it's fascinating to see it in this musical context. And that's what happens here. Nancy comes into this house and the rest of the band goes, all right, well, listen, we're we got to make her audition at least. So they audition Nancy. Uh, but very quickly, within a few weeks, they invite her in and now she is. Playing gigs with them and is officially part of the band within like
0: a very short amount of time, three, three weeks, three months, something like that. Wow. And she just snuck in and it probably wasn't, it doesn't sound like it was something done with any type of evil, evil idea. No, no, no,
1: definitely not. The evil doesn't happen until they get to mushroom (laughs) records, right? So do you know the mushroom Records story at all?
0: No, I was starting to laugh because I was thinking about it. the evil that's going to happen in the last five years recently. <laughs> but, but go ahead, so, take us to mushroom. Like, well,
1: I you know I figure while we're here, instead of just skipping there, let's talk about some some of the controversy in Hart's career, and we can talk about this first chapter of Hart because it's fairly condensed. It's a, it's a short period of time where they really are at the top of their game, and they're a fascinating study to me because they are not a product of a big record company machine The they sign with a Canadian record label called mushroom records. Can you name any other bands on mushroom records? No, no, can't. you, you can't, <laughs> I promise you, you cannot. <laughs> um, so it, this is the thing. Mushroom records, this, there's this guy, shady little outfit, right? And they almost pass on heart like everybody else has when, um, when Mike Fisher goes out trying to get some interest for this band that's living in his house. Um, But there's this guy named Mike Flicker. And now he gets referred to as the seventh member of heart. When Anne talks about the Dreamboat Annie period later, Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll end up helping produce that. He wants to sign when he hears the music, he wants to sign Anne, but Mike Flicker is smart and he knows that he can't, he sees the dynamics. So Anne is, with the manager and, and sister is in the band and the manager's brother is in the band. So he has to at least take those three people as a package. Right? So that's what he does. He makes this deal and he says, you guys all, you all come in and we'll, we'll demo and see what we can do. He gets them to record something. Doesn't take off. Mike's boss tells him, I don't want to have anything to do with this, but Mike's boss has a heart attack. And Mike suddenly gets to be taking over the decision making at this record label. A wow. heart attack literally saves heart. <gasps> oh man. So Mike, at really? This, yeah, it's, that's totally true. Mike at this point had heard Nancy and Ann play together and he'd heard magic man and crazy on you. So he knew that they had these songs. And he wants to be the guy who helps them make the album. And this is the album that will become Dreamboat Annie and, and change their lives. Now, like I said, they get popular in Canada first because of Canadian content laws. Um, but they have a hard time breaking into the U.S. market. And in this oral history, the sisters describe... That there's this guy at Mushroom Records, not Mike Flicker. There's this other guy who becomes a big part of this story. And he starts going to uh, Detroit, Buffalo, like these sort of border towns, and going to radio DJs with blow and hookers and saying, I've got a woman for you out in the parking lot, courtesy of Heart," Like straight up happens. And this is how they get radio airplay in america for the first
0: time <laughs> uh, oh my gosh so well oh, oh my gosh While all this is happening
1: speaking of the sex and the drugs that we like to talk about on this show um that guy is first of all let me just say that guy who is arranging the hookers and blow is doing a lot of blow himself and he will show back up in this story in a major way but to get to the sex uh while the band is on the rise, while all this is sort of happening, Nancy and Roger Fisher now become a couple. Now in retrospect, especially reading about this in their own words, uh, this all feels a little grimy. Nancy describes, and remember she's younger than everybody, right? Right. She describes that Roger, like from the moment she shows up in this house is hitting on her. And at that time, he was still married. He's, he's known as a philanderer, but Nancy's young and impressionable, and this, there's this romanticized ideal of two sisters and two brothers falling in love and making a home and a career together, and it's like, I guess it's just probably too much to pass on considering how convenient it is. But the music, the music is finally starting to take off. So now you have two sisters in relationships with two brothers, in, at the core of this band, and then these other two musicians who are part of this, and this little record label that now has this band and their music is starting to take off, is not prepared for any of this because they're a little tiny Canadian record label that literally named themselves Mushroom Records. <laughs> they, there's no cash flow, so Anne and Nancy talk about this. Like Dreamboat Annie, as it starts to soar and take off. There's like still no money in their bank accounts, so they're like touring and they don't have cash and the whole thing. And they also realize that all of a sudden this is starting to work for them, but they're still getting paid like they just signed something, right? Like, sure, yeah, it's record label, and so the royalty rates all screwed up. So at this point, Mike Fisher is like, "Okay, we." I can't be the manager because I need to kind of like make sure that this really gets done correctly and I'm with Ann, and it's a little weird. So I'm just going to step away and we're going to bring in real management. So they bring in this guy and the first thing he's supposed to do is fix the royalty problem. So he goes into these negotiations with mushroom records, which I keep saying they're a real shady operation, but they're fighting hard. And so, as soon as, you know, this legal thing comes up about, okay, you need to change the royalty rate that's coming to the band, they're just having none of it. And they're like, no, 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 no. Everything's fine. We're not doing that. They're going back and forth. They're going back and forth. They're going back and forth. So, meanwhile, there is uh, the guy at the center of all this, who I mentioned earlier, who's running around giving, giving blow and hookers to radio programmers in, in America. His name's Shelly Siegel. And he is like in the press talking about how good he is at his job as hard as taking off because this, this record labels had like no success. And so, and then nobody knows who they are. So he's literally like doing press where he's like, nobody knows who I am. And I made, you know, I sold a million copies. So now when people know who I am, I'm going to sell more than that. Like, you know, he's just like running his mouth and (laughs) In the midst of all this, Heart gets a gig opening for the Beach Boys on oh tour. Oh my gosh! On tour. Here's the thing and, we're going to talk about: Heart opens for everyone.
0: Like right, and, and and give me the year on this. Where this is seventy six. Oh my gosh! Okay, wow.
1: So seventy six, you could buy a ticket to see the Beach Boys with Heart. <laughs> <laughs> which is wild. Later, they'll go on. There's stories in this book, in this oral history, where they they talk about being on tour with they they, they get shoved with southern rock bands, and they 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 spend half a chapter talking about how terrible it was to tour with southern rock bands. And there's one in particular who turns their power off during their set while they're in the middle of I think they're like in the middle of Crazy on You, which seems like a ironic song to mess with them during and they like kill the power to embarrass them Uh, you want to guess what band that was you're never going to guess Marshall Tucker band
0: <laughs> oh man man you should given give me like, like five more seconds I was going to go I was going to go it has to be those 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 crazy guys with the flute <laughs> <laughs> I would have got there, man.
1: And then there's also stories about Artemis Pyle, the drummer from Leonard Skinnerd, like dropping his kid off at their room when they were on tour and being like, hey, I need to go out on a bender. Will you watch my kid? <laughs> like, there's, there's some great stories. Um, but yeah, so for this particular point in 1976, they're out on tour with the Beach Boys. And at some point, I, I guess maybe someone hands them the new Rolling Stone that's just hit. And they open up this new Rolling Stone magazine and Mushroom who can't pay them or give them their royalties on time has taken out a full page ad. And it's basically just touting themselves as Mushroom records to be an amazing success as a label. Because now as hard as taking off, they're getting calls, right? People are like, Oh, well you signed my band, right? Like all of a sudden these guys that it's a little tiny record label in Canada that wasn't doing anything has attention and so they're drumming up more of it because this guy, Shelley Siegel, is a jackass. And it says, so this is the ad. i gotta, I got to draw the visual for you of this ad. So they take out this full-page ad to make it look like the front page of the National Enquirer. Oh. And so the front says, million to one shot sells a million. That's the headline. And then the rest of the page has other fake headlines. So here's where it gets sorted. At the bottom of this. There's a picture taken from the Dreamboat Annie photo sessions. And if you don't remember the Dreamboat Annie photo cover, it is Anna and Nancy back to back. And you see like their shoulders and up, right? So there's a picture from that session. And the headline says, Hart's Wilson sisters confess it was only our first time. So in this body ridiculous way, I, I sort of see what these dumbasses thought they were doing. Like they thought they were being funny and crass and making this weird innuendo. That doesn't really make sense about incestuous lesbians and, and not talking to the one
0: artist they have on their label
1: and not talking to the one artist they have on their label. So they just find this out when they're on tour with the damn beach boys. This is the final straw for the Wilson sisters. They get pissed because here's what happens. They stop in Detroit. And they're they're, the full version of this story is in that oral history. But and I'm not going to go into it. But they basically this DJ is a dummy and starts to add. I mean, you know, radio DJs starts asking them about being lesbian lovers. They're sisters. Now, this is gosh, it, it seems so crazy to me. But I remember reading this about Tegan and Sarah. If you remember the Rock Act, Tegan and Sarah, they still perform. They are lesbian sisters, and they, I remember reading something in the last 10 years where they said they get asked all the time in the press if they make out with each other, which is ridiculous. It's so weird. Anytime I think straight white men should be given another chance, I read something like that. (laughs) We're all out of chances, guys. Get us out of here!
0: I mean, I mean, Howard Stern took care of all of this <sighs> like thirty years ago with that entire the entire bit. I uh, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And it, well, so I didn't know that this happened to Hart. This, this is crazy to me that this is, continues to happen and either. that it happened it happened all you know back in the seventies. So they get super pissed. They're on tour. They go back to the hotel. They write a song together. And that song, in response to this ridiculousness that's just happened at Rolling Stone Magazine and at this Detroit radio station and with Shelly Siegel, that song is Barracuda. <laughs> Now, this all happens in the middle of a contract dispute. They're furious. And so they blow everything up, and they set off a bunch of nasty litigation. They abandon their commitments to Mushroom. They are able to sort of claim some legalese in their contracts. They signed to CBS, a subsidiary, and Mushroom takes the stuff that they were already working on, because they're already working on what's going to be this second record called Magazine. And They go, cool, you're going to go to CBS, you're going to do us like this, great. Uh, We still own the stuff that you've recorded so far, and I know it's not done, but we have all the raw tracks. So they just inserted the raw tracks in, and put the thing out. (laughs) They took a couple of live tracks that they found, so it's like eight songs or something. So, Hart's pissed about this. They file an injunction to get it removed from the market, but he had done it so fast he got 50k, 50,000 copies of this into the market before they could stop it. The courts agree when they take it to court that it should be withdrawn, but they say, look, if we withdraw it, you technically still owe them a record. So yeah, they shouldn't have done that, but you should have given them a record. So Hart has to deliver another record to Mushroom.
0: Wow. I've never heard this story because it's so... Super interesting.
1: They're already recording an album.
0: That's Little Queen, right? That's Little, Queen. So Little Queen. So Little Queen comes out right in
1: 77. Shortly after, I believe it's shortly after, Mushroom puts out this bootleg, dumb version of magazine that they have. They then have to go put out a new version of magazine. So there is a 1977 version of magazine, a 1978 version of magazine. And then in the 80s, Capital ends up getting the rights to the first two heart records, and they release them again.
0: Interesting.
1: So when they go back to redo their version, the 1978 version of magazine, they re-record, they remix, they edit, they resequence the whole thing in four days. And it's so contentious that there is a court-ordered guard inside the studio with them to make sure that they do not destroy the master tapes.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Can you be, imagine that guy? That guy. I bet barbecues. And has a hella story. What well, one story? But I bet everybody that comes to his house hears that story, bro. He's like four beers <laughs> in. He's like flipping burgers. He's like, bro, you know, man, my, you know, my security guarding hasn't really lived up to its original heights. But man, back in the day, you know that band heart. I bet he tells that story so many times.
0: I'm sure he does, man. <laughs> I just remembered a heart. I just remembered a heart song that I love. Yeah, me. Forgot. What is it? It's These Dreams. It's oh, yeah, off, yeah, 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 yeah. It's off. They have it. That is self-titled record. This and, is in the
1: second phase. We're going to get to the second phase.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's the that's the, that's the metal the hair, phase. The yeah. hair and the dust. Yeah, that stuff. So a coda
1: of justice to this story. Within weeks of the 1978 re-release of the magazine. So remember, it's on Mushroom. So they have to re- re-record it and make it better. And then Mushroom is going to get profits. It gets released, and within like two weeks, Shelley Siegel, who's been in the center of all of this, and is definitely the guy who placed the ad, like they know that for sure, even though he would deny it. Uh, he's doing so much cocaine, he ends up basically killing himself. He dies due to his cocaine abuse.
0: Oh, that's so sad.
1: And this isn't the only chaotic thing happening in the band as the 70s get to the close, right? So Nancy's relationship with Roger has been rocky for a while. Because the dude is doing drugs constantly and cheating on her continuously. And so, this is where we get into the Fleetwood Mac of it all. So, Nancy Rogers, not getting along. She starts trying to start something with Michael DeRossier, who is the
0: drummer. Wow, I didn't know that this was totally Fleetwood Mac.
1: Yeah, that's when you you were like talking in debt. Well, I don't think it's as bad as Fleetwood Mac. It's pretty close. Nancy leaves Roger, starts sleeping in the same bunk as Michael. Like, literally, they say that on the road. They're like bunking together. And the band holds it together a little while. But one night, Roger smashes his guitar on stage. And then when he gets backstage, he hurls a piece of it at Nancy's head.
0: Oh, what about love?
1: <laughs> you want
0: someone to care about you. <laughs>
1: that's, that's that's
0: rough. Uh so
1: they they hold a band meeting and vote him out.
0: Oh, yeah, because it's like immediate like let's yeah, have a meeting. Yeah. He started
1: he started that band.
0: And he gets voted out of it due to his behavior.
1: Yeah. Now, it's funny because over and over when you read stuff from Nancy, Nancy's like He was cheating on me constantly, like all the time. And so I don't understand why he was so upset, (laughs) which is a classic case of a woman in the 1970s, not understanding a man's ego in the 1970s.
0: Gosh, (laughs) I feel like that happened
1: a lot. If he leaves the band, what's going to happen to Mike, right? who's been sort of the driving engine here for this band, making sure they, they get up and get out. And even though he led them into some questionable things with that whole Mushroom Records. Uh, so it comes out in the next few weeks. Like they're hanging out and somebody makes a joke about Mike cheating on Ann. And Ann's like, ha, 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 ha. And they're like, no, seriously. <laughs> Did you not know this? <laughs> Did you not know that Mike's been cheating on you, Ann? And that is not even, you know, so Nancy might have known that Roger was doing stuff, but Ann does not. Have any idea that Mike has been cheating on her, and so that breaks up that relationship. He, he's distanced from the band now, and, and this
0: puts the two women at the front and center of this band. Gosh, this is such a crazy, crazy thing. It's the, like it, it does. I had no idea this is how you got to here.
1: I know, I know. Me neither. So shouts to John uh, for sending us the letter. Yeah. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I love talking about rock and roll history. Not as fond about talking about my immune system and my gut health, but if you get in a situation where you... Are having problems with those things, it becomes very, very important. So let's get you in a place where you're not having problems with those things. I say that because Athletic Greens was created by a guy who experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on this complicated supplement routine that cost him 100 bucks a day. And he said, "There's got to be a better way to do this." And that's when he came up with this. It costs you less than three dollars a day. It's lifestyle friendly. Doesn't matter if you eat keto. Paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free like half of my house, any of that is fine. This will still work for you, and it's going to do things to help your nervous system, your gut health, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, all that stuff. Find out. It's simple. All you have to do is head over to athleticgreens.com emerging and take ownership over your health and pick up a little daily nutritional insurance. They're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Now, back to the show. Now, I'm going to stop before we get too far into the 80s. We've already mentioned them. For all intents and purposes, this is where the band's first real golden period ends, right? For our purposes, we don't really need to talk about the next several decades other than just in broad strokes. But do know that while they falter through the first half of the 80s by 85 they do what we talked about they lean into this like glam metal makeover they give themselves and arguably are they bigger in this second the second round
0: like, yes in the 80s yes
1: they, they they become a bigger band for five or right. six years in the in the 80s and it's crazy so it culminates with all i want to do is make love to you which is where we started in 1990 but i mean those songs in the mid 80s you already mentioned some smashes alone what about love these dreams uh yeah. and and i almost categorize this period as like a totally different band in my brain like i can't imagine go i haven't seen heart live but i can't imagine going to see heart and hearing all of those songs barracuda magic man and all i want to do is make love to you and, <laughs> just and, see.
0: and they play uh they play the battle of evermore like that really does happen so like,
1: I, it's funny that you brought this up so i I made a note of this, but I didn't really leave it uh, in, in what I was going to talk about, but they are, they always cover Zeppelin.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like an and,
1: ongoing thing from the very beginning that they, they cover Zeppelin and they still to, I mean, we're actually the incident we're going to talk about in
0: 2016.
1: It, it literally takes place while they're on stage covering Zeppelin.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the, amazing performance where the three of them are watching heart perform um like the end of stairway yeah yeah. that that is just an unbelievable piece of like rock and roll to watch all at once
1: so they take some hiatuses but they never leave for long and by the mid-2000s they're doing amphitheaters with journey and def leppard and all those bands in 2013 They get inducted and perform at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The original team gets back together for that. And then the sisters write this book that we've been talking about, Kicking and Dreaming. So what could possibly put these two women so close and so important to each other for all of their lives, what could put them at true tabloid-splashing, headline-grabbing ends and odds? Dudes. Dudes! Dudes. White Dudes. dudes. dudes! Okay, before we get to the actual incident, we got to dip back into the 80s for just a moment because we got to catch this character who's he's at the center of all of this. He actually shows up in their lives way earlier than you think. So after Ann's breakup with Mike Fisher, it's unclear exactly when this happens, but at some point, Nancy is like, Ann, it's time to get back out there. I'm going to set you up on a blind date. And so she sets her up on a blind date with a guy named Dean Wetter. Now, the story goes that Ann... Want to be respectful about this, but Ann is looking to score. And not drugs. And Dean Wetter turns her down. Will not have sex with the incredibly famous rock star he's been set up with on a blind date.
0: And who is he? I get it. He's a he's a blind date, but like he's just like a
1: dude. Like I don't honestly know how Nancy even knows him.
0: Wow. Far so, out. Okay.
1: I mean, this feels like a warning sign to me. I, I don't want to run us through some weird hypothetical, but like, let's just say, <laughs> a rock star, you're set up on a blind date. You, you do not have the family that you have in this hypothetical situation. And you're, I set you up on a blind date with, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, Lisa Loeb. <laughs> and Lisa Loeb, once to do the stuff with you. And do you, is there any, is there any chance in the universe? You're going to be like, nah, I don't think so.
0: This reminds me of the, the thing where Nicole Kidman was on Jimmy Fallon and she tells Jimmy Fallon about how, they were kind of set up once, and he was so boneheaded he had no idea. And she, she even said this thing that I thought was really telling, and I didn't understand exactly what she was saying. But she said it was kind of a hang, you know, because <laughs> because she was like, you had on like sneakers and nothing, and and it's and like someone was like, hey, do you want to hang out with Nicole Kidman? Like she's single and whatever, and. He was playing video games. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do think that would be what you and I would end up doing. We would just be clueless. But if it was pretty obvious, which Anne says it was pretty obvious that she was into De- to Dean, uh, he, t- he totally whiffs on it. So that's it. That's the extent of their relationship until one night on the promotional tour for Kicking and Dreaming in like 2014. So this is like 30 years later the dude shows up in one of the promo appearances and these two idiots get married. What? Yeah. He's out of her life for like 30 years. What a weird backstory. It's clear. The rest of the family has their reservations about this guy too. And will defend him in the aftermath of this incident by saying things like quote, he was demonized before we ever got married because he's a free spirit. He is honest and open and people take it personally. Also, just because somebody's a jackass, you, you're you not allowed to be like, oh, he's honest and open and people just don't know how to take him. No, he's a jackass. Like, learn some social skills, man. Uh, so that's what she says. Nancy has other names for him on the record, like Crankpot and Oddball, which I like both of those. But now, now let's get to the juice, because you know what's coming. I don't know if other people know what's coming. I, I'm going to read. I'm just going to read from Rolling Stone. This is uh, April 10th of 2017. The article is called Heart. Can Ann and Nancy Wilson go on after family assault? Quote, the cops were called, which I thought was totally unnecessary. Hart's Ann Wilson says last month by phone from Colorado. It was something that could have been worked out in a family meeting, but instead it just went ballistic. I think it was overblown and just grew this other head. My gut reaction after I found out what had happened was let's get everybody in a room and hash this out. All the emotional super hyper drama could have been avoided in the first hour. So, what is she referring to? On August 26th, 2016, Hart performs at Auburn, Washington's White River Amphitheater, 30 minutes from where Anna and Nancy grew up in Seattle. They got family backstage. It was supposed to be a celebratory homecoming show, and they start their last song, which is Stairway to Heaven. Mike McCready comes out. To play, wow. A different scene is happening backstage. So Nancy at this point has 16-year-old twins. So they're born in 2000. And they ask their uncle, Ann's husband, Dean Wetter, who's only been in the family for like a year at this point, if they could see Ann's new tour bus. So Wetter takes the teenagers and Nancy's stepdaughter to the vehicle. But he says to them, Keep the door closed so the dogs on the bus don't get out. Now, these are 16-year-old twins. When they exit the bus, the first one out leaves the door open for the other two behind him. And this apparently makes Dean Wetter very angry. According to a detective's report in court documents obtained by Rolling Stone, quote, Dean became immediately upset and began calling one of the teen's names, slapping him on the back of the head, causing pain. The teen asked him why he hit him with wetter responding by quote, punching the teenager in the back of the head with a closed fist, causing him to be stunned and see stars. Gosh, after wetter grabbed him by the throat, Nancy's other son intervened wetter grabbed the other teen by the throat. And according to the police report began quote, squeezing the other son's throat to the point that he could not breathe. The kid said he was unable to breathe or talk and that he feared for his life and felt pain in his neck. Police arrested the then 66-year-old wetter, charging him with two counts of assault, one felony, and one misdemeanor.
0: What the hell? Kind of like superhuman strength of anger freak show. How much does he
1: work out? Is Is he in the band gym constantly? 66 years old. So my dad is like a little bit older than that, and I'm picturing him trying trying to get my 16 year old nephew up against a wall like i don't think he could <laughs> i don't think it's possible right i mean right i the, the the dynamics of this whole situation are crazy and it's crazy because this is like in some ways Ann is right like this is like family crap that goes totally out of control and none of it's good and this guy is clearly an oddball I think that's been established by his behavior with Anne. with, I mean, anything anybody said about him, like he's a little strange. I don't know if you've seen a picture of him. You can Google it. It's not flattering. Uh, and I'm not talking about like mug shots. I'm just talking about random photos of him and Ann. You're like, who is, who's the guy? Was that the guy from up? Like, yeah, it's, it's rough. Um, <laughs> Get so up. <laughs> on March 9th, wetter <laughs> pleaded guilty to two non felony assault charges in the fourth degree. And, and this was again in 17. And while he won't officially be sentenced until April 14th, all parties have agreed to a plea that will allow him to avoid jail time in lieu of two years of unsupervised probation. Is that even a real thing? Individual counseling, yeah. group therapy, a ban on alcohol and drugs, and a $3,000 restitution and no contact with Nancy Wilson's two sons.
0: Gosh, man
1: so wetter admitted to police that he hit the teenagers on the night of the assault quote. He said that he lost it with them and that he should not have touched them. Police reported, uh, in the aftermath. Um, but <laughs> this, there's this whole thing where like he goes off the bus and he tells Ann, yeah, like I sort of messed something up. Uh, but maybe you should go, like, fix it, and I'm just going to go take a nap. So, like, he doesn't go and apologize immediately. He sends ann to do it, and he, like, goes and lays down.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I mean, how, gosh, how, how dickish.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just seems like he's totally and completely, like, not able to deal with humans very well. Like, that's just, all this reads to me is, like, a guy who's, like, I don't know. Just not socially adaptable or except, or, or very good. And I, you know, I'm just very confused about this whole Anne Wilson. I mean, I don't want to project anything onto Ann Wilson because Ann Wilson can speak for herself a very successful and smart, amazing woman. Um, but, you know, it, it's very well known in press about her
0: that she struggled a lot with her personal image. Oh, well the whole thing in the mid 80s i mean you understand those videos like how like who was in those videos which sister was yeah yeah There's i mean only, there, she was there was only w- one sister in right. those videos primarily who was shot where you saw like her whole body she would be doing the guitar solo you would see her but then her sister you wouldn't see her as much yeah
1: i mean it know. was the 80s man they did, they were awful in the way that we looked at women and talked about women. And I mean, we, we've been through some of this, right. And like, and like I said, if you read this oral history, there's just so much in it about things that you and I would just be like, wait, that was still, people would still say that to you. People like, you know, just the idea of a woman on stage playing in a bar was shocking to people. And so they've been through all of that. Right, and she's been yeah. at the center of the frame the whole time, and and she struggles with weight. I mean, she says in the oral history, she mentions going to her ten year reunion, which means she would have been twenty eight years old roughly, and specifically remembers seeing a guy who had said something to her like in junior high about her weight. Like, I mean, this is something that had had ha- had haunted her, and and continued to to haunt her into well into adulthood. And those you know those sorts of scars don't go away, especially when you're putting you know magnifying glass and the entire sorted music industry on top of them it's just it, it's tough and and i feel for it but this whole situation it's like where is it now right so what what happens in the aftermath it's crazy yeah, is
0: this yeah is this band i mean is, is this band together so like, no the state the,
1: okay. the, the short answer is now ann wilson is touring as ann wilson of heart and nancy wilson is touring as nancy wilson's heart
0: okay Got it. I saw a video of Ann Wilson performing like at the Troubadour or somewhere, like just by herself recently, and people, you know, people were very excited for. They were very like enthusiastic, yeah. and I wondered what was happening. So they have just they've split. So, so they've they are they are they are split touring. No, they, they're split
1: touring. They're trying to act both of them like this isn't just about 2016, and maybe it's not. I mean, these are siblings who have lived their lives almost every minute of their lives together for most of their lives since they were in their early twenties. Gosh. And so, I mean, there's a lot of bent up baggage and they like, like they clearly made a bunch of crazy decisions about who they slept with and who they did business with. And like, you know, I mean, I'm not here to judge, but I'm just saying like all of those things are going to put pressure on a relationship. And so, but now they're, they, even this year, there've been interviews with both of them. Ann says in a new interview with classic rock magazine, this is from the spring that the two rock and roll hall of famers are not feuding quote. It's a myth. Nancy and I are okay with each other. We just have different ideas for what heart should be. And we haven't figured out what a compromise is yet. And it's this is the story she gives quote hard had a big offer on the table last year for a bigger tour, but this is from Nancy, but Ann wasn't interested in going out with my lineup of guys that we were out with before she has a new lineup that she wants to join. So this is what's happened, right? Like basically since the eighties, it's become Anna Nancy Wilson is heart. And they fill in the back with whoever they need. And, right. and so they're now saying like, Oh, we're just sort of like arguing over who we're going to take on the road. So that's why we're not touring together. I'm sure it's, you know, everything's fine.
0: You think so? Well, I don't. And <laughs> I don't either. I, and, I think it's, I think it's really
1: good PR. This is, this is a quote from fairly recently. Uh, Anne said of the altercation from back in 2016. "Quote: Things happen in families, and that was a really good example of something that happened within a family, and we worked it out. But the part that made it hard was that it happened in the public eye. If it had happened privately, we'd have gone into a family room and sat down and worked it out. Instead, the police were called, and this myth was born that Nancy and I are feuding." And that we're at each other's throats all the time. And it's really not like that at all. Now, that's what she says in 2022. In 2016, if you read that Rolling Stone article, they're both basically saying that they're on ice with each other. And that they're texting occasionally. more sort sort of out of function. But it's crazy because when Dean goes to jail, they still have like four tour dates. So he's in jail for the four days that they're touring. So... Anne's husband is locked up on account of something he did to Nancy's kids and they're going on on stage every night together.
0: That is so crazy.
1: I think this is one of those stories that if you don't have kids or you don't have really close friends or like or family members or something where you can sort of like play this idea out, it's hard to imagine the how crazy and dysfunctional and stressful the whole thing would be.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah, especially if it's like your sibling and it's a p- another parent beating up your kid. I mean, what? All of this. It sounds so. When I first heard about it, I I couldn't really comprehend it. it was I was just. I've too had to much. read
1: a lot about it before I could like put be like okay, like I sort of get it. I sort of see what happened. But yeah, it's wild. It, it it's wild and it's sad. It's like I I hope. I mean, I, I hope they just figure out whatever they need to figure out to be happy sisters for the rest of their life. Like, honestly, I don't, like, if they never play me up, I'm not that personally invested in the band. But regardless, if they never play music again, that's not the point. I hope they fix whatever they need to fix in their families and in their relationship. But, like, this is a band who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and has made significant contributions to rock and roll history. And I don't want
0: to see any band go out in a blaze like this. I was really disappointed about Lindsay Buckingham and that falling out with Fleetwood Mac. And I mean it, it's it's a drag having siblings fall out at this late like a later date. Um but gosh, I mean, I guess like you're gonna argue after a while, even if you can get along for this this long. Yeah. Right?
1: Um, it's like when you see a, a a marriage that's lasted forever, and then it starts to fray at the edges and starts to fall apart, and you're like, oh, come on! You were almost there! <laughs> they did play together in 2019, I think, pre-pandemic. They played some shows, but it does not look like they're actively trying to reconnect. And, I mean, maybe it is like, hey, this distance that was created has now given us the excuse and the perspective to sit back and say listen, maybe this musical partnership is dysfunctional too. Maybe we do need to be doing different things. Um, can we talk real quickly as we wrap up? Do you know what those two guys who left in like the late seventies, early eighties from heart, do you know what they went on to do? I'm talking about, I'm talking about Steven Roger.
0: Yeah. Steven Roger. Do you, do you no, know? no, so were they, were they in another Canadian band?
1: Oh, yeah. They were in a Canadian supergroup of sorts, but um, I heard this song recently in public, and I was like, oh, my God. This song. I'm, this song. I need you now.
0: More than words can say,
1: I need you now. The back half of heart is responsible for that song.
0: That is totally weird. I can't believe that happened.
1: That's Alias is the name of that group. Actually considered a super group because it's the two guys from from Heart and then the other two guys. You know what what band the other two guys are in?
0: Um, it's Canadian. I, a Canadian. Um, I don't know. Sheriff. Sheriff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> hey, let's hey, let's hear it for Canadian Vans. And thanks for the letter, John. Like right on.
1: Uh hey, if you have a question, uh or you want us to dig into to something, uh, send it to us. It's at gmail.com. We are more than happy to spend a little time seeing what we can we can dig up for you. And uh, we appreciate you listening to the show and leaving reviews wherever you do that, or whether that's uh, Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you get the show. It helps other people find us, and we appreciate it greatly. Uh, but until next time, uh, Murdoch, what should uh, people do?
0: Keep telling stories. Ah, barracuda. <laughs> Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.